Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 130 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, and the mood is just a little bit different around here than it has been for the previous, let's say, seven or eight weeks of the season. The New York Rangers have lost three out of their last four games, including Tuesday's 7-3 loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs. We are going to check on the pulse of the fan base this week with the guys from the Blue Shirts Breakaway podcast, Greg Kaplan and Ryan Mead, a couple buddies of mine, a couple guys whose show I've been on probably more times than I can count. Always enjoy yucking it up with them. Pretty lighthearted conversation most of the time, but we dive into exactly what to make of this recent skid for the Rangers and how portions of the fan base seem to be handling it very differently. So interesting conversation coming up with those guys later on in the show. But first, let's dive into everything that's happened in the past week since we last spoke. Now, on the previous episode, the Rangers were coming off of that loss in Ottawa, and we had Steve Valaket from MSG Network on the show. I was surprised, especially in thinking about it afterwards, by how concerned he seemed to be with the state of the team, given their place in the standings. The Ottawa game was just one loss. At the time, it seemed like an off night for the Rangers, and obviously we know that they came out like gangbusters for the first as I said, seven or eight weeks of the season, and for a stretch there had the best points percentage in the NHL. Valley's a guy who usually takes a lot of positive viewpoints of the team, but he laid out the defensive concerns for us last week, particularly the numbers that show that the Rangers have been among the worst teams at defending odd man rushes against this season and the worst team in the league at doing that for basically about a month now. And since then, we've seen more evidence that maybe he was on to something. The next game after that was the 4-0 loss in Washington, D.C. on Saturday. First time all season that the Rangers had lost two games in a row. Pretty impressive that they had even made it that deep into the season, having not done that. But I have to tell you, after that game, it was as displeased and frustrated as I've seen Peter Laviolette. Very short answers at the post-game press conference said, I do not want to dissect this publicly, and he did not do that. He kept it very brief, and clearly he was not happy with the way that the team played in that game. Both he and some of the veteran players who spoke in the locker room after that loss to the Capitals called into question the team's effort their battle level. We've heard that happen at times in the past. There was a handful of occasions I can remember back to last season. But for the most part, these Rangers have showed up fairly consistently throughout the season, or at least head to that point. So there was this feeling of disappointment in the locker room after that shutout loss to the Capitals that they just did not play up to their standards. So that was clearly, I think, if you polled the players and if you asked Peter Laviolette, which of these recent games have bothered them the most. That 4 to nothing shutout loss in D.C. on Saturday w- would be their first answer for sure. Now, they respond to that 
you get the response that you're looking for the very next day. Quick turnaround for the Rangers. They played a night game in D.C. on Saturday and then had to come right back to MSG to play another game against the Los Angeles Kings on Sunday. Quick turnaround for yours truly as well, having to make that drive through the rain to get to MSG. And I just barely made the pregame press conference by pretty much no seconds to spare. I walked into that room at the same time as LaViolette. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, Rangers aren't playing as well recently. Just went over these poor analytics with Valley. The defense is clearly slipping. And now they're playing back-to-backs coming off of arguably their worst loss of the season to the Capitals. But the Rangers really came through that night and at least temporarily quieted some of the critics. A 4-1 win over the LA Kings. And the Kings, we need to note, analytically and even just if you look at some of the basic stats like goal differential and shot share, rank as one of the best performing teams in the NHL. Coming into that game, they ranked first in, at least as far as five-on-five play is concerned, first in goal differential, first in shot share, first in expected goal rate. So pretty much all the categories, the key categories across the board, the Kings graded out as the best five-on-five team in the NHL. And the Rangers took care of business against them. The defense really noticeably tightened up in that game. The first period, it felt like neither team could get anything going, but the Rangers were okay to play that way. They stayed patient. They didn't take unnecessary risks. They didn't make some of the costly turnovers that we've seen happen, especially in that game in D.C., and they waited and waited, and then they pounced when they got the opportunity. They end up scoring the four goals, sort of came in bunches after Mika Zibanejad got them going with the power play goal in the second period. And they limited, most importantly, the Kings to, at least according to ClearSight Analytics, three high-danger scoring chances the entire game. So really, really a strong defensive effort from the Rangers in that one, a big bounce pack performance. They get some role players who made some key offensive contributions. Jimmy Vesey scored. Johnny Bradzinski scored a really nice power play goal. Will Cooley finished it off with a goal of his own at the end of the game. So you were encouraged to see that. And, of course, the biggest story to come out of that game was the ongoing comeback story of Jonathan Quick. It was really cool, just as sort of a side note here before we get into what happened on Tuesday, it was really cool to see how much that one meant to Jonathan Quick. You you knew deep down it would mean a lot to him, but whether or not he would come out and discuss it as openly as he did, I think I wasn't sure about because he's been pretty reserved, very humble, very modest about how this season has gone for him. He's 8-0-1 now, 922 save percentage. I think exceeding pretty much everybody's expectations, especially considering where he came from, He told me last week that it wasn't just last season that he felt like didn't go well for him L.A. He said really his last four seasons with the Kings, he felt like did not live up to his standards. He did not play as well as he would have liked and just did not go his way. And so with that career trajectory of you feel like this guy, 37 years old, stacks a few seasons in a row where it looks like he's slipping, maybe inching toward the end of his career to now all of a sudden have the kind of resurgence 
that he's having in New York is one of probably the, the coolest stories for the Rangers so far this season. But he hasn't wanted to talk about all of that a whole lot. Interestingly, though, after that win over the Kings, he was open about how much he had that game circled on his calendar, how much the entire day the memories are flooding back to him. He said he couldn't nap. He couldn't really distract himself. It felt like it took forever to finally get to the point where Puck was dropping in that game. And then once it did, he felt like he could exhale and just play hockey, do what comes naturally to him. And he did it quite well. He wasn't tested a ton in that game, but he did stand up to the quality chances that the Kings did have, did put together another really solid overall game. I think he finished with 25 saves in that one and continues to stack wins every time that he gets the opportunity. Again, he has not suffered a regulation loss through nine starts with the Rangers 8-0-1. He has been their best goalie so far this season, which we're going to talk about a little bit more in just a moment. But a really cool night for Jonathan Quick. And you could see his teammates knew that as well. They recognized that. They sold out. They did everything they could. They played hard. They blocked shots. They did all the little things. The attention to detail that had slipped in the previous few games, they came back and, you know, I don't know if it was a win-one for the Gipper kind of a thing or whatever, but it all kind of came together for the Rangers in that game. And it felt like that little blip on the Raider that they had with the loss to the Senators and then the shutout loss to the Capitals, it felt like they were quickly getting past that and showing you that even the slightest bit of adversity, they were the type of team that was going to overcome that quickly. But then it turns out those feel-good vibes did not last all that long because Tuesday night comes along, The Maple Leafs come to town. We all know about the star-studded Maple Leafs lineup. Mitch Marner, John Tavares, Austin Matthews, William Nylander. The list goes on. The firepower that they have, especially in that forward group. And the Rangers, despite having Toronto in town, this star-studded group that had actually played a game the night before, the Maple Leafs were coming off of a back-to-back and overtime loss to the Islanders on Long Island the previous night, it felt like an opportunity for the Rangers to take advantage of a vulnerable, probably tired opponent. And first period, it looked like the Rangers were the ones that were tired. They came out flat. They give up four goals in a span of less than 12 minutes in that opening period, dug themselves really into too big of a hole for them to climb out of. Those defensive lapses crept in once again, I will say that the game, I don't think, was quite as lopsided as the score indicates. The final score on that one was 7-3. to The first period, the Rangers weren't good. But the second period, I thought the Rangers were the better team. They claw their way back into it. They cut the deficit to 4-3 to going into the third period. It felt like they were within striking distance. And just from having covered this team all season, they... In my opinion, it's been hard to count them out of a lot of these games. Nine comeback wins so far this season, which is tied for the most in the NHL. And it just always seems like they've had that knack, that resiliency that we've talked about to pull out these games. So when they go into a third period and they're only trailing by one, in the back of my mind, I feel like they still have a really good chance to at least get a point out of that game and oftentimes come back and win it. So they have this momentum going for them. At that point, but then 
I don't want to overstate this because I do believe that the Rangers deserve to lose this game. But the biggest turning point in my mind in that game was early in the third period, Eric Gustafson gets called for a tripping penalty. And if you go back and you watch that replay, it was, I think, one of the more questionable calls that have gone against the Rangers so far this season. Gustafson did not reach his stick. I believe it was Nylander. I'm I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Whoever it was from Toronto, Gustafson did not reach his stick under the leg or catch him or blatantly trip him in any way. It looked like the player just kind of lost his balance and fell, and Gustafson just happened to be right there next to him. And from the vantage point that the ref was looking at it, they decide to make the call. But it really was a tough call to swallow for the Rangers. They give up a power play call very quickly uh, on the ensuing power play for the Maple Leafs, and then they just couldn't recover. It's 5-3, to three, and all of a sudden now you're taking chances. You're trying to open things up and push for offense because you know that you've got to score at least two goals in less than a period to even force overtime. And then they make some mistakes that way, and Toronto ends up tacking on a couple at the end. So, again, I think the score is more lopsided than the game itself actually was, but you factor in how poorly the Rangers played in the first period – Again, they deserve to lose that game that was nowhere near good enough for them, especially against that kind of of an opponent. And far from their best defensively yet again. This is now a trend that, as we talked about with Valley last week, is getting more and more noticeable, particularly, and you saw this with Toronto, the odd man rushes, which we talked about a lot with Valley last week, and the net front protection issues. There have been a handful of goals recently that are just popping into my mind that happened against the Kings, that happened against the Capitals, that happened against the Senators, where it just looks like the Rangers sort of miss assignments, whether it's a lack of communication, a lack of awareness, but they are not doing a great job, in my opinion, recently of protecting those high danger areas, the slot and the front of their net, and they seem to lose track of guys, and then all of a sudden the opponent gets a wide open look right in front of of the net. So that's another issue I think that has cropped up recently. And it's definitely one that I believe Peter Laviolette has been harping on with them behind the scenes. I do wonder while all of this is going on about the effects of the guys that they're missing and whether that's catching up to them. It seemed like for the first close to two months of the season, any injury the Rangers had, they were able to absorb. They were missing Adam Fox for 10 games. They handled that pretty seamlessly. They were missing Igor Shesterkin for five or six games. Again, Quick stepped up big time for them. Even Louis Domingue stepped up for them in one of those games. They've had injuries to the forward group that they were able to overcome for long stretches. But now it just feels like the ongoing absence of Philip Hedl, which has really weakened their depth down the middle, forced Nick Benino to play extended time on the third line, and the third line, for the most part, has not been very productive offensively. Heedle has now been out since November 2nd, I believe it was, so we're talking about six weeks about. So long absence for him, and it does not sound like he's any closer. Asked Laviolette about that again on Wednesday after practice, and he said it's pretty much status quo, still skating on his own, but still not cleared to practice with the team. I mean, if I'm being honest with you guys at this point, I would be shocked to see Heedle in a game before Christmas. I think you're looking at a return probably sometime in the new year for him at the rate that it's going. 
We also know Capo Caco has now been out for a few weeks, and it's going to be probably even longer before you see him. He is still not skating. Laviolette confirmed on Wednesday, and again, I don't think you're going to see him till definitely some point in the second half of the season. And so having those guys out has weakened the overall depth of the forward group, and the longer that you're missing them, I think the more glaring that becomes. And then for that Tuesday game against the Maple Leafs, the Rangers were also without Keandre Miller, and his absence is a little bit more mysterious. Even though we don't have all the details specifically on Kapokako's injury, we know it's a leg injury. We saw it happen. We know Heedle's dealing with a concussion. Miller is not hurt, but from what I've been told and from what Peter Laviolette has said now back-to-back days, it's personal reasons. And listen, I don't want to make light of that in the slightest. This is a thing where if he's dealing with anything in his personal life, whether it's family, whether it's sickness, who knows? I don't even want to speculate too much on what it might be, but whatever is going on in his personal life, first and foremost, you hope that he's okay. You hope that his family is okay. You hope it's nothing too, too serious or too, too scary on that front. But LaViolette said after Wednesday's practice that he still doesn't really want to comment much on timetable for his return. So Will Miller be available to the Rangers this weekend when they have back-to-back games against the Ducks and then the Boston Bruins? We don't know. And that is obviously a huge loss for them defensively as well. So maybe some of these absences are catching up to them a bit. And you certainly have to hope that they're not missing Miller for too long because he is a vital, vital part of this team. But with all of that being said, The final thing that I want to address here in this first segment before we get to this week's interview with the guys from the Blue Shirts Breakaway podcast is what has definitely been the biggest talking point in the last few days and especially in the aftermath of that loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And that, of course, is Igor Shosturkin. Shosturkin, we can lay it out any way you want. Most important player on the team, most valuable player on the team, the backbone of the team, a former Vesna Trophy winner. We all know what he has meant to the franchise since he arrived in that 2019-20 season. Well, he has now lost three games in a row. He is, at least on his record, responsible for all seven of the Rangers' regulation losses so far this season. 10-7 and seven right now is his record. And his save percentage is down to 902, which is a far cry from the historic 935 season that we saw a couple of years ago when he won the Vesna Trophy. And that includes, in those last three games, these last three losses for the Rangers, an 839 save percentage across those three losses. So clearly he is struggling right now. Clearly he is not playing up to his usual standards and it has become the biggest talking point right now among the fan base. Now, would I say that he has let in some goals in these recent games that are not typically goals that he allows? Absolutely. Would I say that he's anywhere close to on top of his game right now? Absolutely not. But do I have long-term concerns about him? No. I would say the answer is certainly no on that. We know how good this guy can be, and we've seen him bounce back 
from slumps before. Let's not forget what happened last year. He struggled really for multiple months last year at the beginning of the season and ultimately ended up rallying at the end of the year, the last couple months of the regular season. If you go back and look at his statistics, were very, very good. And then even though the Rangers end up losing in the first round against the Devils, he was, I thought, the best player on either side in that series. It was really the only reason that the Rangers were able to take it seven games. So we've seen him have these lulls and we've seen him bounce back. So from that standpoint, I think He's going to be okay. I don't think he suddenly forgot how to play the position. I don't think he's suddenly going to be a mediocre goalie for the rest of his career. I don't think he lost that it factor that made him so special for his first few seasons here. But I will say this. The most concerning thing for me in what I'm observing with him in these last couple weeks, handful of games, is the mental piece of it. And what I mean by that is this. He talked in the preseason, a lot of you will remember, I'm sure we talked about it on the podcast, and I know I wrote a story about it, about last year what he felt like was his biggest downfall was beating himself up too much, how hard he was on himself during that stretch of time when he wasn't playing up to his standards. He is a goalie who I believe has struggled with that at times in the past. And he was pretty open about that in the preseason, that that sort of allowed it to fester. That sort of allowed it to become this mental block for him and probably made him stay in that slump for a longer period of time. He said he was not having a whole lot of fun. It sounded like he was taking it home with him. It sounded like it was really dampening his mood and his spirit overall and and became this thing that was prevalent on his mind all the time. He wasn't able to just let the previous start, leave it in the past and move on to the next thing. It sounded like a lot of that disappointment from one start to the next would really linger for him. And so he specifically talked about trying not to beat himself up so much this season. And he seemed to be in a really good headspace, at least during training camp. But I'm seeing a lot of signs of that creeping back in lately, especially after that loss Tuesday night against Toronto. He spoke at his locker afterwards, but as dejected and from a body language standpoint, as downtrodden as really I've seen him a couple times, I would say in total in the five years that he's been here. But this was certainly, I think, one of the most dejected states that I've seen him in and When it came to talking about the game, he kept saying everything about the team was great except for the goalie. So he was clearly putting all the blame on himself. He didn't play his best game, no doubt about it. But we also talked about some of the other issues that the Rangers are having right now. And Peter Laviolette has repeatedly said it's more about what we're doing in front of him. Igor doesn't want to hear that. He puts all the blame on himself. He really wears it. And you are concerned about that because you wonder about Can he shake it off? How quickly is he going to be able to shake it off? Or is this going to linger for a while? And it seemed to linger at Wednesday's practice, if I'm being honest with you, because I was there, I watched it. A lot of shots were getting by him, more than I would say typically do during practice. And the frustration was clear. The shoulders were hunched over. He's flinging pucks out of the net. He's shaking his head at himself. He just seemed like he was not 
happy out there on the ice today. Even on a couple of occasions where I saw people maybe try to loosen it up and lighten it up with him a little bit, he didn't seem too interested in that either. It's just the body language right now does not seem great with him. And again, talking to him after the game on Tuesday, he had very little to say, and he seemed really dejected is the best term that I can come up with for it. So we've seen him in this place before, and he's found a way to eventually snap out of it. But for me, that's kind of the most concerning part. You'd like to just see him get to a place where he isn't so hard on himself. Obviously, Holding himself to really high standards is what made has made him so great. But at the same time, a lot of the best athletes will tell you, and I remember talking to Henrik Lundqvist about this, especially recently now in retirement as he's had more time to reflect on it, that he used to really carry that with him too much to a certain extent. And then it came a point later in his career where I think he gained a better understanding of how to sort of let it go. And if you have one game that doesn't go your way, don't let it turn to two or three or four games. You know, turning the page quickly is an important thing. You need to learn from your stakes and you need to get better, but you also need to not let it become a thing where when you step into the net for the next game, what you did in the last game is still on your mind. So that would be my biggest concern right now. Again, We've seen him snap out of this. He knows how to play the position at a really, really high level. He remains, in my opinion, one of the best goalies in the league. But he's in a rut right now, and that is something that you can't dismiss. You can't just say, oh, well, he's he's done it before, so he's guaranteed to get back there again. I do believe he's going to get back there again. I just worry about how long this is going to linger if he continues to sort of wear that frustration to the level that we're seeing him do it recently. What I'm curious to see moving forward is what does Peter Laviolette do? Because we know this weekend the Rangers are hosting the Anaheim Ducks on Friday and then traveling to Boston to play the Bruins on Saturday. Back-to-backs like that, the goalies are always going to split. So Igor will play one of those games. Jonathan Quick will play the other. Who gets that start in Boston, which is obviously going to be the more difficult? It's the better opponent. It's on the road. That's an interesting question. Right now, I would not be surprised at all if it ends up being Jonathan Quick who gets that start. But then I also wonder what happens on Tuesday next week when we travel to Toronto to see the Maple Leafs again, the team that just frustrated Igor this past week. So at that point, I think you could certainly argue right now, given what we've seen, that Jonathan Quick would give the Rangers a better chance to win unless – Igor in one of these starts over the weekend lights it up and then all of a sudden your confidence in him is renewed and you can feel good about throwing him out there on Tuesday. But based on what we've seen lately, Jonathan Quick is playing better right now and I think you could argue he would give them the better chance to win in that Toronto game on Tuesday. But you also don't want to do any further damage to Igor's confidence and that's typically a start that would be his. So I'm very curious to see what Peter Laviolette ends up deciding to do. I think what we see over the weekend might help dictate that. If Igor looks pretty good over the weekend, then I feel pretty confident he's going to be the guy on Tuesday in Toronto. But if he's shaky again and Quick has a good game, then for the good of the team, I think you could certainly sit there and say, well, Quick should get that start. He's earned it. So with that, I'm sure we're going to talk more about Igor and the overall concern level 
with the guys from the Blue Shirts Breakaway podcast who are going to dive a little bit more in the fan perspective of things and, and how the fans are feeling about the team right now. Everyone was so excited about how they were playing for those first 23-ish games, and now all of a sudden we've got some some fans that I think are keeping a pretty good perspective and saying, well, this is just a short little stretch in a really long season where they're not playing great. But there's others who seem a little bit more panicky right now. So we'll find out where those guys stand and what they're sensing from the rest of the fan base in this interview that we're about to hear right now. Now let's welcome in a couple friends of the show, a couple competitors, you might say, a couple guys who I just spoke with about 10 days ago on their podcast, and that would be the hosts of Blue Shirts Breakaway, Ryan Mead and Greg Kaplan. And it's funny, I was just saying this to them a moment ago. I went on their podcast, I think it was 10 days ago. And at the time, the Rangers had played 23 games. They had won 18 of those. And the topic that we talked about the most was, well, it's like sunshine and roses. Everything is going so great for the Rangers right now. And now here we are less than a week and a half or so later, and the team's lost three out of four. And me just interacting with the fan base the way that I do, there's kind of a schism that I'm sensing right now where you have some fans who I think are getting a little panicky, getting worried because things had been going so well and now we're starting to see these blemishes. And then you have another segment of the fan base that that to me at least seems like they are trying to have some perspective and not overreact and still realize that the Rangers are in a really good position in the standing. So Ryan and Greg are hardcore fans themselves and I think have their fingers on the pulse of the fan base as much as anybody. So let's dive right into that because you guys, I feel like, I want to know where you stand, what you're sensing, and, and then what your own personal feelings are. So uh, that was a long-winded introduction, but but you guys are free to jump in and go wherever you want here. We are in New Ice City, so I'm going to be very nice and use appropriate language. And when we go on my show, we can do the – Greg, Greg and I show, rather, we can do the bad stuff. Anyway. Well, uh, Ryan, Ryan said that specifically to remind me that we are not on Blue Shirts Breakaway right now, so I can't swear. Which <laughs> I did. I kudos did to that. him. I picked up on it. Thank you so much. <laughs> I mean, very, very I, I'm pretty sure Valley said shit last week. So we try to keep it clean here. Right. But let's you, try. Let's, you, let's you know, try and be We don't have any specific here. rules, but we know that you know young children sometimes listen to this so when you did uh come on our show like you said uh, the first question i asked you was well, can we complain about anything and we've tried to find one thing and since then um keandre miller is now out for personal reasons philip Hedel is now still skating but not joining the team capo is out for how whoever knows how long uh igor is going through what i would call a moment uh, a curious moment but not something i'm personally afraid of in the long term for igor shesterkin uh and the defense honestly uh from every Position has been a little bit lacking. They've been letting up even uh, odd man rushes. They've been even. I was about to say even man rushes. Awesome, odd man rushes. They have been sort of um, sticking in games, but they haven't been executing in ways I think we were kind of used to them. I will say this all to say, Vince, they are still first in the metro. They are still. Uh, they still have a great position where they are standing. I think Laviolette has responded in the appropriate ways. Uh, held practice today when he probably didn't need to. He uh, is is going to push on the players he needs to push on. And Igor Shosturkin, uh, he showed confidence in him right away. So while I think it's appropriate that you could say, hey, and Greg, Greg's going to make this rant in a second, I'm sure you could be curious about Igor Shosturkin. I wouldn't be concerned, but I am surprised at the amount of people that are, and look, there's a uh, vocal minority wherever you go on any topic. 
the amount of people that are extremely concerned about Igor Shosturkin when he's been nothing but great for you for many, many years. I know there was insane stats that talked about how Igor Shosturkin had lost something like nine games in regulation or uh, over some ridiculous amount of period of time, like six years of his career. That's not a correct stat, but that's sort of... <laughs> that's definitely not is. correct, but we, we get yes, the point, yeah. But it was the hyperbole of it, but anyway... Um, the, the, to, the, to, the what of it, Ryan? Yes, <laughs> oh my God, I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> wrong podcast. Point, point, being, um, <laughs> point being, he's very, very good to lose confidence in him this quick. is very scary. Uh, I, I'm so sorry, Vince, that Ryan's on here using language that is completely made up. Uh, to me, I think it's clear what's happened to the New York Rangers. For those who listen to both our shows, which everybody should, everyone will know that our interview with Vince ended with me berating Vince for why the New York Yankees hadn't traded for Juan Soto. This is Juan Soto's fault. The Rangers were doing fine until that man showed up in New York. Wow. So I think it's, I think it's, no, but seriously, um, Here's my thing, and I've been thinking about this a lot since the game went final last night. A game, by the way, where if you look at the final score and how it was actually played, tell two drastically different stories. That was a 50-50 game after two periods. And the Rangers missed a lot of opportunities that I thought they should have scored from prime locations against the Leafs. And whether it's just one of those games where they don't go in, whether it's the fact that Nick Bonino... I don't know if he's ever scored on a breakaway, but he's 0 for 3 as a Ranger. Uh, there are a lot of things that added. 7-3 looks so gaudy and so gross on, on, on face value. It's not an accurate telling of that game. At the same time, the Rangers being down 4-1 after the first period is why they lost that game. But if the biggest problem, if, if the number one problem with the bullet facing the New York Rangers on December 13th with a record that has them first place in the Metro and I believe third in the NHL in points percentage. If your biggest problem is that Igor Shesterkin is struggling, then I'm just not worried because we have the data, we have the eye test, we have the history to know that Igor's probably going to be fine. And if he's not going to be fine, then forget it. What's there to talk about anyway? So if my biggest... if I, I'm not excusing the odd man rushes and the team defense that has seemingly taken a step back in the last four game sample size specifically. And you can go back further than that to when they lost to, um, Oh shoot. I'm not remembering. Sabres? My... I got you. Sabre. Yeah. The Sabre game was, was alarming, but even that was kind of just like a, what are you going to do kind of game in my mind? It's to me, it's a four game sample size. I think I've said on our show multiple times when the Rangers were flying high, I warned fans that there was going to be a period at least one, probably two, in this season in which the Rangers lose four of six. And they're probably well on their way of doing it right now. I didn't mean for it to happen this soon. But if my biggest problem is with Igor Shesterkin, that's the one dude I don't worry about. He's going to be fine. He's had weird lapses in the past. And the other thing is, is there, and I'll, I'll, I'll turn this question to you, Vince, is there a better time for Igor Shesterkin to be going through one than while Jonathan Quick is playing his best hockey in 10 years. Well, not only that, but you think about the position that they're in in the season right now. I was talking for a while after practice today with Vincent Trocek, and he was saying, well, I was saying this to him, and he was kind of nodding, that <laughs> if you think about the position where they are now, 27 games in, still 50 games plus to play, 
you know, this isn't the worst time to have a little bit of a lull. And it also, I think, around the locker room is being taken as a little bit of, hey, maybe things were going too easy for us for a while. And we started to sort of rest on our laurels and think that that maybe we could get away with certain things. And, and now this is a little bit of a wake up call, a little bit of a reset for them to get back to it. I will say this, though. I want to talk about Igor because I'm kind of interested to pick your brains on, you know, the fan base and their reaction to him because it it does seem to be somewhat visceral recently. But I I don't know if he has necessarily been their biggest problem recently. I I had we mentioned we had Steve Aliquette on the show last week, and he was pointing out some numbers that really over the course of the past month defensively in his mind were concerning and he's usually a pretty positive guy. But even though when I had him on last week, the Rangers, I think had only lost one game at that point, but now three out of four at the point I'm talking to you guys, but he was pointing to the odd man rush statistics and how bad that is. And really pointing to some overall defensive concerns that he had about the way that this team was defending. Now, I think part of that you could look at and say, okay, well, Early in the season, the first month, we were talking a lot about the five-on-five offense and how they weren't producing a ton there. And now they're producing better offensively, but the defense has slipped. So maybe that's kind of a natural thing. They started run and gun a little bit too much and pushing a little too much for offense, and that left some things loose on the back end. So maybe that's a course correction that in time will even itself out a bit. But I do think that they have not been playing an overall disciplined, structured, strong enough game compared to what we saw in the first month of the season. Now, maybe that wasn't sustainable, but I don't know if I would say Igor has really been their only problem recently. I do think that he has struggled and I, you know, I can, we can talk about those frustrations, but I think that the team in front of him and Laviolette has repeatedly said this has let him down on, on several occasions as well. So I don't know if I would just say that Igor is like the only problem right now. Uh, well, I didn't say only, I said biggest. Yeah. I, 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 I the team defense it's, it's difficult because I, it's such a small sample size. Even if we want to do one month versus one month, where are the Rangers truly the team that played in the first month of the season that weren't giving up high danger chances, but weren't really creating any of their own? Or are they this team that is creating high danger chances, but high danger chances against and now going up all while getting, frankly, from what we expect from Igor Shosturkin, subpar goaltending. I, it, I think they aren't either of these teams and they're somewhere in the middle and it's going to even itself out. And the fact that, again, the beauty of what the Rangers are doing, and we said this when Adam Fox got hurt. We said this when Igor Shosturkin got hurt. We said it when Phil Heedle got hurt. It's never a good time to pick up an injury, but the Rangers picked up significant injuries at a point in the season in which they had already built a substantial cushion in the standings. And this is... This comeback down to earth period is going to happen. It happens to all teams, unless you're the Boston Bruins, when it didn't happen until they were in the playoffs last year. It's just the ebbs and flow of a regular season in my eyes, where if this continues and we get more data points and we continue to see this team struggle defensively for weeks and we get to a stadium series game in February and the Rangers have not gone back to that original style of defense they were playing under Laviolette when the season first began, we have issues. We have problems. We have things to be worried and concerned about. But for a four-game sample size in which Keandre Miller has left the lineup, Capococco has left the lineup, um, Phil Heedle still hasn't returned. You're seeing some overexposure of Nick Bonino. Vincent Trocek is now playing beautifully in the top six, but him not being in that on that third line, it does shorten the lineup a little bit, and guys are being exposed that – 
previously weren't being exposed because the Rangers simply had more bodies. Th- this all just happens to me. I, I'm not at a point where I'm worried about it because, frankly, I'm seeing enough, and I know Laviolette had the great line last night that you know he doesn't take any positives from games in which the Rangers played last night. That's great and good. I understand that message. If the Rangers got boat raced last night, I'd be a lot more concerned. But through 60 minutes, and that included a really bad 20 minutes in my eyes, New York Rangers proved that they can fight with anybody. A really good, a high-octane Toronto Maple Leafs team. They were right there with them, and then the wheels kind of came off in the third. It's I'm not excusing bad behavior. I'm simply saying the section of the fan base that wanted to burn down the village last night is outrageous. Yeah, well, so that that leads me into a point that I wanted to ask you guys about here. 82 games is a lot of games, right? And most of them are not going to matter in the long run. It's, it's such a long season, but in your position, you guys do a weekly podcast plus a bunch of other stuff. You're following every single game in my position. I'm literally writing every single day about this team, multiple stories on game days for fans, the diehard fans, the fans that are locked in on the stuff that we're doing every game, they kind of live and die with. So where, like, how do you find that balance of I don't want to overanalyze this little stretch of four games where they've lost three of them, but at the same time, you want to maybe nip bad habits in the butt as they show up, and and, and you want to make sure that you're from a big picture perspective getting better and and not letting little bad things slip into your game. Like, you know, how do you guys kind of manage, or from fan perspective, how do you deal with? those ups and downs within an 82 game season when you know even if they lost five games in a row right now they could win eight in a row later in the season and it kind of negates that they also have a 98 chance to make the playoffs via like 16 models so that's pretty <laughs> good um i think because greg and i have been doing this for eight years covering this team every single week even in august we've learned that um the the it's not a sprint it's a marathon and vince you know this you travel and, and, and go with the team there are a lot of times where teams get to the playoffs and they are beat up. I mean, look at the Bruins last year. Look at just Adam Fox in the playoffs last year. Now, I know he came back pretty promptly from the IL this time around, but I still think there are a lot of guys here that are playing through things. They won't talk about it. That's hockey culture. I- I'm not sure Adam Fox. I think Ryan- Kreider is one of them for sure right now. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I think Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren, who keeps getting leveled or bleeding or whatever, uh, are playing through these. Bar- Barclay Gaudreau can't eat <laughs> solid foods for a month. Yeah, for a, a for a month. And we're missing we're missing key guys. Like, I don't care what people say about Capococco's offensive uh, prowess because it was not there this year. And I, I will not defend that. But his puck possession and defensive metrics are excellent. Philip Heedle is a very speedy player. You'd like to have him right now. This is nothing against the Johnny Brzezinski's and Jimmy Vesey's of the world, who I think have been excellent surprises. That's real talent you're missing. And this is a marathon. The team knows, and I think they they have a pretty good idea. We just need to get to the dance. They've they've gone deep. A lot of these players, because of Vinajad, Chris Kreider, especially Artemi Panarin at this point, who's uh, facing his demons by shaving off all his hair. They've gone deep in the playoffs multiple times. And if they're if they're putting a uh, pedal to the metal every single night, they're not going to be ready for the playoffs. Like you only need to put pedal to the metal every single night if you're not getting there. And I know a lot of fans want to see them win the division and win the president's trophy or other fans don't want to see them win the president's trophy because the quote unquote president's trophy curse. But these guys know and they have the mentality of what it takes to get there and then turn it on. My great example of this, the Kings game. They all wanted to win that game for Jonathan Quick. They marked it on their calendars. It was marked before the Capitals game. They got blown out for nothing. Then they go to the Kings game. They're a totally different team. They're dominant. That Kings 
Kings team only lost, had zero regulations on losses on the road that year, and they turned it on. All of a sudden, two days later, laps in concentration again. It's a long, long season. And Laviolette is trying to get the bad habits out that maybe were formed over the past couple of years. And I think personally, he's done a great job. There's a lot of games I think this team would have lost over the past two years that happened this 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 year. There've been comebacks. There've been they've fought, fought through things and they fight for each other. There's a lot more connection on this team than there ever has been, at least in my opinion, over the past three years. Uh, and that's kind of what you're seeing now. And look, this is all a good thing. It's all going to the playoffs, and you got to just build that character and those habits. And, and also know when does it actually matter to turn it on personally? And this has been my last point when you're at home, I would love to see you turn it on against paying fans. Like I'd rather you take a loss on the road. I understand. Um, but this, this team, uh, it keeps finding a way. And I think they will continue to find ways. Greg, I, I, know, I know you're a very patient man. How, how do you deal with the, the fans who, <laughs> who, who overreact to every game? Not well, uh, that that's the short version. I, I do think, I'm not breaking news on this podcast by saying social media has changed something in all of us, probably for the worse. Myself, Ryan, you, Vince, were something has chemically changed in us because of how often we are on social media and how often we use social media. But I think, and I'm not saying this about every city, but in New York City specifically, I do think sports going away for that four-month period in 2020 when we were all locked in our houses at a time of the year where it was the best time of year on the sports calendar, something fundamentally changed in the DNA of sports fans where everything started to feel a little bit more, not doom and gloom, but everything wasn't promised the next day. So I think, I just... The way I re- I remember the 2019 season, both for the Rangers, which wasn't very good, and the New York Mets, which also wasn't very good, and the New York Yankees, which frankly also wasn't very good. But I I feel like we were all having more nuanced and understanding conversations about our team. And then this year, I I'm, I'm dizzy and I think concussed from the amount of times Jets fans and Giants fans say that they're back and they're dead. I. We this is a week in which Zach Wilson and Tommy DeVito are both your NFC NFC and AFC players of the week. And both fan bases are like, you know, there's a chance we can make the playoffs. And two weeks ago, both of them were like, I need people drawn and quartered. So it's <laughs> this isn't this isn't just Ranger related. It's just that we're seeing it Ranger related. you there are Met takes out there where if people people are saying if the Mets don't sign Yamamoto, Steve Cohen should sell the team. And they mean it. Like they're not kidding. Yankee yeah. fans, oh my God, The I yelled at you about Juan Soto because Yankee fans were going nuts about Michael King. And I, I've i lost the thread. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the death of sports radio as we know it, where the truly unhinged portions of our fan base could be so-and-so from Tom's River calling to WFAN and have Mike Francesa yell at them and it would calm them down and it would give people some perspective on everything. Or if, so, or if simply being online and feeling the need to share your opinion and have your opinion heard and feel like it matters and feel like not only does your opinion matter, but it's the right opinion. And if someone disagrees with opinion, it's not, they're not arguing with you. They're just wrong. And I, I, it's this weird, we're at this weird point in humanity where we just, we've lost the thread on what we're actually talking about here. And that's why every time, Every time the Rangers fall behind in a game, 
I tweet out, I think the tweet I had last night was, if this score holds, the New York Rangers will fall all the way down to first place in the Metropolitan Division. And I, <laughs> I say stuff like that because the people who get angered by that tweet and come in my replies being like, you're an idiot for not being concerned about X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, I'm just not going to react to this one game sample size that is clearly not going the way I want it to. And yes, there are trends that I would really like the New York Rangers to correct. Notably, Odd Man Rushes and Igor Shosturkin. I just have confidence they're going to correct them. I, I, I don't know what else to say. And if I simply say that, people think I'm pandering. And I'm it's, like, no! It's I very rude one... to be positive, Greg. Extremely I, rude. The thing, Ryan, is I didn't used to be this guy. I used to be the negative one. I used to be the Debbie Downer. It really I, is quite the turn for you, Greg. I mean, from when I, I first when I first met you to now, wow. Yeah, and I don't know what happened. The Mets have gotten worse. It's not like they've gotten better. I'm the positive <laughs> guy now. Like I, it 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 defies logic. I just I don't know what's happened in the in the last four years in our in, in this New York City sports fandom. But it's at a it's at a bad point, and it, you know. If we're relying on the Knicks to save us, we're in trouble. We're well, truly in trouble. I will say that that New York sports fans have been through a lot in recent years, a lot of dashed hopes, a lot of really poor seasons from pretty much every team in this area. So maybe that contributes to it. But I also think Ryan touched on the vocal minority. I think a lot of the people that are being the loudest on social media aren't necessarily representing the majority of the fan base. That's something oh. I, I early on, like when I first started on this beat, I had to kind of remind myself of that still doesn't mean that, you know, I enjoy kind of punching back and debating. And I think that's part of the, the fun of sports sometimes is being able to engage in those conversations that, that can become passionate as long as you, you know, you don't cross the line too much, but uh, it's all in good fun. But yeah, I do. I do notice that like, you know, one goal gets given up in the first period and all of a sudden everybody's talking about how they're going to lose the game. And and again, it's yeah. not everybody. It's the vocal minority. But there is one guy who I, I want to get a sense for what you guys feel and what you think the fan base feels about, because Igor Shosturkin, I think since he arrived, you could definitely say has been the most important player on this team, the most valuable player on this team for long stretches. When the Rangers have been at their best, it's largely been on his back. There's a lot of stars here, but I think, he is the one who's most capable of driving them to new heights. And so with that, I think come really high standards. But it also seems like recently, you know, the last three starts have not been good for him. His save percentage in the last three games is 839. So that's not good. But even okay. before that, he had been, you know, not in tip top form, I think, for the season. But he had, had some pretty good starts. He, he was certainly solid enough to where he, they were winning the majority of his starts. Like, but what? What do you guys see? Why do you think that he has become such this lightning rod in the, with the fan base recently? It's because they're so used to greatness. It's kind of like, and he's I'll, I'll do it for Greg. It's like when Jacob Degrom let up four runs when he was a man. <laughs> like that's that's like they're used to the amazing performance of this guy who was a Vesna winner, almost an MVP, and had all like all this promise. And again, he'd lost almost n never in his career, and then all of a sudden. This year, he looks a little bit more shaky. He lets in a couple softies. He's had a couple moments of uh, looking frustrated, uh, notably breaking his stick on the glass after uh, after the Buffalo Sabres loss. That being said, there was a time last year where Igor Sturkin broke his stick on the glass, and we all celebrated. Like, it was the best thing of all time. We're like, we love this guy. He's awesome, uh, and he's our guy. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, even when Hank was great, there were people that turned on him. There were people that said, play Talbot. 
It was like crazy stuff. It was like, it's Henrik Lundqvist. What are we doing? <laughs> like, what are we talking about here? And he rushed circuits going through it right now. And I think he hasn't gotten into a rhythm and people are really struggling with that. Uh, I, I had some people in my uh, replies last night, like, you're not talking about his glove hand enough. Like, what do you want me to say about Igor Shosturkin's glove hand? Like that, like, Benoit Allaire isn't going to fix it. Can we talk about Benoit Allaire? Like, uh, I think he's pretty good and he's good at adjusting goalies. I think he's going to fix Igor Shosturkin. We've seen Igor get frustrated in the past. This happened against the Pittsburgh Penguins, and we all know what happened in that series. The Rangers won, mostly because of Igor Shosturkin. I don't know if they remember last year, but in the Devils series, uh, his goal saves against... I believe was absolutely ridiculous. And I think he led uh, all goalies and analytics except one. I think it was just Hill that was above him through the entire playoffs. And he played one round. Uh, so they're used to this greatness and they're just not seeing it right now. And will he ever be fixed again? And is his career over? And the answer to me is no. Yeah, the, uh, career, the, the career isn't over. I will say this and then I, I want to hear what you have to say, Greg. From a technical standpoint, from a wondering if he'll get back in his groove at some point, at some point, like none of that really concerns me. Like we know how good this guy is when he's on top of his game and I'm sure he will get back there at some point. The question is kind of how long, but I think from my vantage point behind the scenes is that the, the thing that I notice with him that sort of concerns me is the mental side of it. The, the way he beats himself up, the frustration that he expresses. I mean, Last night or Tuesday night, by the time this podcast comes out, after that game against the Leafs, he was as dejected, eyes on the floor, terrible body language. You know, credit to him for for facing the music because that has not always been something he's willing to do in the past. And credit to him for, I mean, he always puts the blame on himself. He never points fingers anywhere else except for himself. But it's almost too much. You feel like he's beating himself up a little too much because he was as dejected as I've ever seen him, I think, after that game against the Leafs. And then watching practice on Wednesday, he does not look sharp right now. He's getting beat a lot in practice. The frustration is showing, flinging pucks out of the net, shaking his head, just kind of hunched shoulders. Like that is the thing that when I'm observing, I'm like, you know, I just, if if I were a, a mental coach or if I worked for the Rangers or if I was on that side of things, I would just want to kind of, get him to relax. I don't know how you do that necessarily, but it seems like that's something that creeps in. And he talked about it in the preseason. This is something that he wanted to get better at. He wanted to be happy more. He didn't want to beat himself up so much, but it seems like now recently he's back to being in this. I don't know if I want to call it fragile mental state, but he's back in, in a very frustrated place right now. Just real quick before I, I'm going to cut off Greg, it, it might be a little bit tough for him. And this is just armchair psychologist. Jonathan Quick is undefeated. <laughs> and like Igor Shosturkin is used to being the guy. He is the reason the Rangers are going as far as they are. And all of a sudden, Jonathan Quick, lifelong Ranger fan and also a Ranger dream killer, comes on, uh, comes onto this team and is either 8-0-1 at this point uh, and has honestly played amazing. And all of a sudden you're looking at Igor Shosturkin like you're you were thinking you were going to get the whole like the entire workload this year. I really thought he was going to get 55-ish starts uh, and that will not be the case. And part of that's because Quick is playing so well. That has to play a little bit into like the way he's thinking as well, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I you're wrong, Ryan. I know that to be perfectly fair. Cool. Uh, cool. I, love I, that. I, I think the Jonathan Quick angle to me, and the, what I was going to say was, is there a better person to be in the goalie room right now with Igor Shosturkin than 
Jonathan Quick. This is a guy who won. A, this isn't whether we thought he was good when he did it. The league thought he was good. People who cover the league thought he was good. People playing him thought he was good. He won two cups for the Los Angeles Kings, got run out of L.A., was seemingly unwanted by every team he went to thereafter until he got to Vegas and was simply seen as just insurance, an emergency option for Vegas when they go on their run last year. This guy was essentially discarded by the National Hockey League, and the Rangers picked him up on the cheap, brought him home, and are giving him a chance to play, and he's playing better than he's played in a very long time. Is there nobody you would rather have sit down next to Igor Shosturkin and say, hey, man, I've been there. I've seen it. I've been at the highs. I've experienced the lows, and here I am experiencing the highs again. You're going to come out of this. Is there anybody you would rather have sitting next to Igor Shosturkin right now than Jonathan Quick, who's clearly gone through it all? In his career. And I'll say before I, I throw it back to you, Vince, the only athlete in my lifetime that I can truly think of, and I'll say two athletes I can truly think of where their fan base never turned on them throughout their career. I think you can limit it to Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera. Those are the only guys where at every point in their career had a 100% Q score. Everybody loved him. Everybody respected him. Never the people who were criticizing Derek Jeter were people like me who weren't Yankee fans. Um, Mike Piazza got booed. Patrick Ewing at the tail end got booed. Uh, Mark Messier has been booed. Brian Leach unceremoniously traded. Stars in New York aren't undefeated. And Igor Shosturkin is going through a period for the first time where a portion of the fan base is doubting him. Now, it's a small portion, but it's higher than the 5% it was before the season started. I think he's going to be fine. I think 75% of Ranger fans think he's going to be fine. But it's disconcerting to hear for the first time him get criticized. But this fan base, we've criticized our Timmy, and not the collective we. I don't think the three of us necessarily have had. Artemi Panarin has gotten heat. Mika Zibanejad has gotten heat. Chris Kreider has gotten heat. I think only player on this team who hasn't gotten heat, Adam Fox maybe, but even he, I think Ryan and I were having conversations about how poorly he played in the playoff series against the Devils last year. Everyone on this team has eaten it at a certain point in time. Igor, go back two years, played terribly the first few games against the Penguins in round one. He turned it around. And he helped win that series for the Rangers, which is why, again, I'm confident he's going to turn this around too. But it's, yeah, it's a tough fan base. I mean, it's a tough media market. We, we all know this. It, it's it's the one of the oldest adages in history that, you know, New York is different when it comes to its treatment of star athletes. There are more reporters in their face every day. They have to hear it from everybody every day. It takes a lot to impress a New Yorker when you're under the big lights, Igor's feeling it right now. But again, I, I cannot be more confident that this is not going to last forever. He's just proven this time and time again. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. And uh, you know, he, he definitely, uh, athletes say this all the time that nobody has higher expectations for me than I do for myself, but he is one of the ones where I really do think that that's true. And like I said, the one thing that I'm just a little conscious of right now is 
making sure that he doesn't get too down on himself where this snowballs even further. You know, I think you got to be able to wipe the slate clean. He talked about that in the preseason. I know Henrik Lundqvist has talked about that, how much he used to beat himself up after every single game and how that was something that in time, and I believe he he talked to people about this, like this was something that he actively tried to get better at, was just learning to turn the page when things don't go your way rather than letting it fester and turn it to something more. And I think that's the thing with Igor right now. And, you know, the fan base reaction to him is going to be interesting. I, I, I've seen you tweeting about this a bit, Ryan, like mm-hmm. wanting fans at MSG to be supportive of him. Just support and, the guy. And it's lift, not that hard. And, and lift the guy up. And, and he seems like a guy who could use that to me right now. Because, again, not just watching what's happened in the game, but watching practice. Like, this is a guy who is doesn't look like he's on top of his game. He's allowing more goals in practice than he typically does. And the body language to me is just... It looks like he's searching for something right now. So, so that that, that, that Ryan that Ryan opinion is one one billion percent a symptom of him living in Philadelphia, though. This the man saw worked. It this, worked. This, okay. this, man, this <laughs> man saw Philly fans suddenly stop booing Trey Turner, and he had thirty homers in like sixty games. I'm I'm seeing right through you, Ryan. I'm not having it. What are you What are you doing? It still works. You should support the guy. I look. I go back to. A game versus Pittsburgh, I believe it was two years ago on a Friday night. I know I'm a sicko memory with this. But Igor Sturkin was just throwing pucks down the ice. And it was that was the game he waved off the Penguins and like flapped his hand at them and chirped them off the ice. That is an incredibly confident and put together Igor Sturkin that says, no matter what, I'm better than you. He is not there right now. And helping him get back to that by maybe getting behind him like we have in the past could be a good idea. And it's not just the Trey Turner thing. But it did inspire. Yes, Greg. Thank you. So, so don't give him the Giancarlo Stanton uh, approach or, or treatment where the fans are just booing him every time he comes up to the plate. Yeah, I'm going to go uh, ahead and not do that. I, I'm yeah. going to go ahead and get behind my guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying boo Igor Shosturkin. I'm just saying we don't have to be Philly fans. That's all. That's all We're I want to get Philly out there. Fans, relax. I, I, but I'll, I'll, ask, I'll ask you this, Vince. Um, we're talking about a guy going through it mentally right now. Isn't this one of the biggest? benefits of having Peter Laviolette behind the bench right now. This is a guy who clearly has no problem pulling players aside, having one-on-one conversations, truly connecting with his players on a deeper off-ice level than a some previous coaches, I won't say who, might have before them. Isn't a huge benefit of having Peter Laviolette that this guy himself has been through it as he's is building these connections with his players and isn't going to be intimidated by pulling his star goalie to the side and saying, Hey man, what's up? Yeah. Well, actually he did that this morning. Uh, he told us, he told us after practice that he pulled Igor aside for a one-on-one chat this morning. So he's actively doing it. The guy though, who's a hundred percent going to be the most influential in this is Benoit Allaire. Trust me, you know, from talking to a lot of goalies that have played for him, He's known for his positivity and he's known for sort of keeping that even keel and that calmness and helping guys work through stuff like this. So Benny is absolutely the guy that I believe Igor is going to be leaning on more than anyone. All right, guys, well, we're running out of time and I know you two are playing hooky from work right now, so I don't want to get you in trouble or keep you out too long, but I appreciate the time. Interesting conversation, a little bit different from, you know, me typically like with Valley trying to analyze things or or talk about injury updates or lineup analysis or whatever. This is, you know, a little more of a, what are the fans feeling right now? And I think it was fun. So I hope you guys enjoyed it too. And I appreciate the time. Love you, Vince. And we're back. 
Thanks again to Ryan and Greg for coming on the show today. You guys have heard me say this before about those two guys, but I have a lot of fun with them. I've really enjoyed getting to know them over the years, and I definitely appreciate the work that they put in, even though this isn't their regular full-time job. This is more of a passionate kind of hobby for them, but they've really built their podcast up over the years, been very consistent. I believe they like haven't missed a, a week in, I don't know, Ryan was telling me recently seven or eight years, something like that. And they don't take themselves too seriously. They keep it lighthearted. I get a kick out of them. They don't act like they know it all, but they're passionate. They enjoy it. They're consistent. And, and I definitely appreciate that. I'm always happy to help them out when I get a chance. And I like to have them on every once in a while. We've done it, I think, once a year. It's been over a year since the last time that we had them on. So I reached out the other day to see if they would be interested since they just had me on their podcast, like we mentioned about a week and a half ago. And I said, I'm going to ask you guys to return the favor soon. And I cashed it out on that offer pretty quick. So enjoyed that conversation. And I hope you guys did too. And now I would like to get to our final segment of the show, which we've kind of been off of this for a little bit the last couple of weeks because there's been some other stuff going on. But it has returned and it will be here consistently for the foreseeable future. And that is me trying my best to answer your weekly Twitter questions. A lot of good ones this week. I had a tough time narrowing it down. But this is kind of a diverse group of topics, I think. And so let's see where it leads us. And we will start with a big picture question from Chris Casey, who wrote, is this just a little struggle period, or did this team massively overachieve the first 20-plus games? Chris, it's a good question, and it's, it's one I've been thinking about a bit lately. And I do believe, as with most things, not only in sports but in life, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. The Rangers were not going to be able to maintain a pace of whatever it was, 850 points percentage or whatever ridiculous number they had posted by winning 18 of their first 23 games. No team in NHL history has ever done that, I don't believe at least, or if they have, it would be a record-setting season. I'm actually kind of curious about this now. I should have looked this up before I started talking, but Boston, the Bruins, last season had in many respects a historic season, and I'm going to tell you what their points percentage was right now. It was 823. So that's about as good as it can possibly get. And the Rangers were above that for a little stretch. And again, that was never going to be the case for the full season. If you believe that they were going to come out and continue to win games at that type of a pace, you weren't being realistic. But on the other hand, the struggles that we've seen recently, I do believe that they will find a way to bounce back from that as well. We talked a bit about this. There's a lot of different factors, I believe. I do believe that the defensive struggles, the structural issues, and, and you can't always say that it's all structural. It's not like all of a sudden the system or the structure is just failing. I just don't think the Rangers are as tight and as detailed as they were with some of the nuances within the system as they were earlier in the season. I think the forecheck is a part of that that has been way too inconsistent recently. I thought it was really consistent earlier in the season, or at least much more than it is now. And now it feels too touch and go. The way that they've been able to 
slow teams down coming through the neutral zone. We talked a lot about that 1-3-1 trap that Peter Laviolette likes to run in certain situations. That, to me, has just looked looser and not nearly as effective as it was earlier in the season. And there's also something to the crispness with which at times you're going to send that second four checker forward and apply more pressure on the opposing team that way. And at times you're going to sit back and you're going to have those three skaters in the neutral zone to clog things up. I just feel like maybe it's my untrained eye or whatever it might be, but I'm not noticing it as consistently giving teams trouble as it seemed to be in that first month or so of the season. We've talked about some of the turnover issues that are leading to the odd man rushes against. And I think a large part of that we talked about with Valley last week is the Rangers have been opening things up a bit offensively. Their five-on-five offensive production has actually improved in the past month. But I think the result of that or the cost of that has been that they're pushing ahead for offense. They were tired of that narrative that you guys aren't very good at scoring five on five. And now all of a sudden that's left them vulnerable to counterattacks. That's left them vulnerable on the back end. That's resulted in more risk taking offensively. And when you take those risks offensively, sometimes you lose control of the puck and all of a sudden the other team is flying in the other direction. And that I think has certainly been happening more consistently as Valley pointed out with some of the stats that he rattled off last week. And then last thing, the defensive zone coverage, there have been these little lapses. I believe that the net front thing that we talked about earlier is a big part of that. And I also believe that the breakouts have not been nearly as sharp as we saw them earlier in the season. So it just feels like these little areas where maybe they're not off by a whole lot compared to where they were earlier in the season. But if you even scale it back one or two notches at the highest level where this game is played, at the speed at which this game is played, well, that can make a huge difference. That oftentimes can be the difference between winning and losing. And it seemed like all of these different areas that I just talked about earlier in the season were clicking for the most part for the Rangers. And now a lot of nights, at least one or two of those things is off. And that is what is leading to some of the results that we're seeing recently. Even nights before this three out of four losing streak that they're on right now, they were still kind of slipping in some of these areas and still finding ways to win because this is a resilient group. This is still a very good, talented overall group. But I don't know if it was fair for us to believe that all of those things were going to click all season long. So now it's sort of coming back down to earth. And you do believe that at some point, whether it's right away or a little further down the line, that they will come out of this little slump that they're in. Again, I was having a conversation with Vincent Trocek after practice on Wednesday, and we're kind of talking about how this is game 27, 28 of an 82 game season. And you're going to have ups and downs. And in the grand scheme of things, this is a little downturn. This isn't a 10-game losing streak. This isn't an eight-game losing streak. This is three out of four. And within stretches of each of those games, it felt like they were maybe playing well enough to win, just not consistently enough. The one game where you felt like was kind of a complete dud was that Saturday game in Washington. But even the Tuesday loss to Toronto, the second period, the Rangers rallied. The Rangers gave themselves a chance to get back into the game. They just couldn't maintain it. And the hole that they had dug against a talented team like that was just too deep. So I believe that 
they were never going to be maybe a president's trophy winning team, although I guess that's still something that could be within their reach, but I guess maybe not an historic 850 points percentage, ridiculous, maybe winning 60 plus games kind of a team that might have not been realistically what they were going to maintain all season. But I absolutely believe that this is a playoff team. This is a team that is far and away good enough to get into the dance. And as I've told you guys before, I count 10 or 11 teams in the league that I believe are legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. And the Rangers are absolutely on that list. Now, there are some holes being exposed here, especially if these injuries continue. If Philip Hedl has to miss really extended time, I definitely have concerns about the center depth, especially once you get past Zabanajad and Trocek. I believe right now the Rangers have two centers who are capable of playing in the top six and those two guys, and then they've got fourth liners. They don't really have a solid middle six kind of a center that they need, which was a role that Philip Hedo was supposed to fill. And then the right wing depth right now has taken huge hits, especially when you consider that was already their thinnest position. And now they're out with Capo Caco for an extended period of time. And beyond Alexi Lafreniere, there really haven't been many other guys who have stepped up in that role. So it feels like the depth of this team is very much being tested right now. And I think that that is playing into this as well. But Again, for me, playoffs absolutely are still very, very much the likelihood for this team. They're still probably going to finish with one of the four or five best records, I would say, in the Eastern Conference. And once they get in, they're still going to have an opportunity to do some damage. They're going to have to tighten some of the areas up that we talked about. And they're probably going to need to get A, healthier, and B, add, I think, at least one impactful type of a piece at the trade deadline because I don't think this is a fully complete team right now, but they're close to it. And we've seen that this group is very, very capable of winning in bunches. And so that is the main reason why I say this is far from any reason to panic. And I do believe that when you ask, is this just a little struggle period or did they massively overachieve in the beginning of the season? The truth is in the middle, but the truth definitely is more in the direction of this just being a little down period and this still overall, for the most part, being a very good team. All right, let's get to our next question, which comes from Rosalind, who wrote, is Fox fully healed? He doesn't seem fully himself. Rosalind, I tend to agree with you. I do not believe that Fox has looked like the Norris Trophy level Adam Fox that we're used to seeing since he returned from that lower body injury that cost him 10 games. And while I don't necessarily know if he's 100% healthy, I did really get the sense toward the end of that injury that he was feeling good. He had been skating for at least 10 or so days before he returned. It wasn't like he was rushed back. It seemed like they really took his time, especially by putting him on LTIR. So, Could there be some lingering effects from the injury? Absolutely, but I do feel like he's definitely healthy enough to be playing. I think that part of it is just sort of getting back up to speed. And Peter Laviolette was actually asked about this following Wednesday's practice, and he gave an interesting answer. I'll read something. I'll read part of it right now. He was asked if he feels like Adam Fox is still kind of getting acclimated since missing that time. And he said, quote, 
I do think there's something to that. Anytime you take some time off, you're stepping onto a moving train. Some nights the train moves faster than other nights. He went on to acknowledge that Fox basically hasn't been fully up to speed and maybe playing at the level that we're accustomed to see him play. And then he also said, quote, I do see him getting better and more confident. I'm noticing him more and more making plays inside of tight areas, being able to look people off and find space to make plays and deliver. So there you have the coach basically saying, yeah, he hasn't quite been really the Adam Fox that we all have been accustomed to seeing in recent years, but he does feel like there have been little signs. And it should also be noted here that if you look at Fox's last six games, he's got at least one point in five of those. So the points are still coming for him right now, but it doesn't seem as I don't know if I would call Adam Fox dominant. He's not like this physical dominating type of a presence, but he's a guy who just feels dynamic when the puck is on his stick. And when he's at his best, the puck is on his stick a lot and he's making very noticeable plays. I don't feel like we've been seeing that quite as consistently as we're used to seeing. And part of that, as LaViolette is saying, I like that analogy of the moving train. Part of that could just be that when you miss basically a month that getting up to speed against all of these other players who have been playing consistently for two months could take a little time. So I agree that there hasn't been this sort of instant gratification from Fox returning. It's not like he absolutely hit the ground running and has been at his very best. But LaViolette believes that he has been getting better in recent games. I do think that we are seeing the same. You're seeing overall struggles from the team, though. And that, of course, is going to reflect on him as well as it does everybody else. So I I believe absolutely there's more in the tank for Adam Fox. But we talk about our list of concerns. We talked about Igor quite a bit already on this show. As far as players that I'm not very concerned about, Adam Fox is very, very close to the top of that list. But it is a fair question, I believe, because he's coming off of an injury and he hasn't been quite as good as he typically is. So it's something to keep an eye on. It's something if I get a chance, maybe I'll try to talk to him about in the coming days or coming weeks. But Adam Fox is still a, a very, very good player. He's still putting up points. I'm looking right now. He's got seven assists in his last six games. So that's over a point per game in his last six. Now, again, the Rangers have lost three of their last four and defensively, they need to tighten things up and him being a very big part of the team defense that they try to play. Haven't noticed him making a whole lot of those really smart, headsy kind of defensive plays that he typically makes. So there are certainly areas to strive for more for out of him right now. I agree Okay, and our final question comes from 21Milan12, who wrote, can slash should they pull a Tampa Bay Lightning with some of their LTIR guys and sit them for the season and bring them back for the playoffs while adding reinforcements at the deadline and staying under the cap? Well, so this is an interesting question. I certainly would never advocate for cheating the system, or faking an injury. If the player is healthy enough to play, the player should absolutely play. But we have seen instances. Now, I'm not saying that there have been complete fabrications, but we have seen instances where 
maybe teams took their time a little bit. If the player was inching to getting close back at the very end of the season, they held him out for an extra couple weeks or they held him out for an extra few days or whatever it might be to get to that playoff, get over that hump. And then once the playoffs start, the salary cap is no longer a concern. If you get to the point with whether it's Heedle or or Kako. Hedo would be the more impactful guy here because he has a, a far bigger salary. He's at about $4.4 million, whereas Kako is at 2.1. But if you get to the point down the line with either of them, like let's say you get to trade deadline time and they're still not ready to return, well, then that's the point where I think you can have a more serious conversation about the player isn't healthy right now. They're still a ways away from being able to return. The trade deadline is March 8th. The playoffs start in mid-April. So if you hold them out for that extra month plus, then you get to the playoffs and then you're able to open things up. Well, yeah, at that point, it would make a lot of sense. Now, all indications so far is that the Rangers are not expecting it to get that far. I think they remain hopeful that Hedl and Kako will both be back well before the trade deadline. But again, Things are progressing very slowly, and especially with Heedle right now. And, of course, we are worried with Heedle, as we've talked about before, about reoccurrence. And if he does return, and let's hope not, but if he does return and gets another concussion, well, then you're probably looking at an even longer absence. Well, then, all of a sudden, you start having that LTIR conversation, and then, all of a sudden, you can start entertaining the idea of chasing bigger salaries at the trade deadline. I broke this down on previous podcasts, but right now, if they get both those guys back and they're fully healthy at the trade deadline, their salary cap is going to be very limited. Certainly less than $2 million could be around one, could even be less than $1 million in available salary cap space. This LTIR stints that they've had between Fox, Heedle, and now Kako have done a lot of damage to the amount of money that they're accruing right now. So that means that our original projection of having about $3 million at the trade deadline is no longer valid. They're likely to have much less than that, given the current pace that they're on. So that means you're going to have to be hunting for bargains. I've seen people asking me about adding people like Vladimir Tarasenko at the trade deadline, who's making, I believe, $5 million right now. The Rangers are not going to be able to afford that if they get all these guys off LTIR because they're not going to have the cap space for it. But if you get to the point close to the trade deadline where one of these guys is still hurt, not ready to return, well, then again, that's when I think that conversation becomes much more realistic, where I think it becomes much more valid to say, well, they're not ready in March. We're only a month or so away from the playoffs here. Let's play it safe with them. Let's let them take their time. We've seen teams do this. This is not something that other teams haven't done. And at that point, you would open it up. And again, if it's Heedle, that's an extra $4.4 million that you can go out and, and add to your roster at the trade deadline. So it's not ideal because, listen, if you don't have Heedle, you have a gaping hole, as we talked about, in the middle of your lineup. So fudging that to get to the point where you can add at the trade deadline, I know it's Maybe in some ways fans like talking about it because you dream about the possibilities of what the playoff lineup could look like. But that is certainly not what the Rangers want, and it is absolutely not what Philip Heedle wants. And if there, if he was actually healthy enough to return and the Rangers said to him, well, uh, actually, we want you to sit out for all this extra time, 
that's not going to sit well with the player. That could turn into all kinds of potential issues for them, whether it's with the league, with the player, et cetera. So I'm not advocating for that at all. I want to be clear about that. And my understanding is that the league absolutely would investigate that type of a thing. And at least from what I've heard, they have in the past. Now we look at teams like Tampa and it, it does look peculiar the way that it's worked out for them. And again, I think it's more of a situation where if you're really close to the playoffs and maybe the player could have come back a couple of weeks before the playoffs started and you just extend that a little bit, I think that's maybe something more within the realm of possibility. But if the player is ready to come back in January or February and you try to hold them until mid-April, that's where I think you're going to be cheating the system and it could be problematic and it could result in some kind of investigation from the league. So it's all going to depend how this shakes out. And Heedle in particular is the really tricky one here because it seems like he's not getting much closer. We're still only in mid-December right now. So there's a long way to go before the trade deadline. We're talking about three months. So a lot of different scenarios could play out, but once we get closer to that trade deadline, if one of these guys or somebody else is on LTIR at that point and looks like they're not ready to come back yet, well, then all of a sudden those trade deadline possibilities do get opened up for you. So that's really going to be something to keep an eye on, but it's hard to speculate on it at this early date because, again, it's still about three months away. So we will, I'm sure, talk about this more in the future. Again, if they're fully healthy and all these guys are off LTIR, they're going to have very limited salary cap space to work with at the trade deadline. But if injuries linger and they get to the point by the trade deadline where they still have guys on LTIR, well, then they would be able to maybe make a splashier move as far as a salary that they take on at the trade deadline. But we're, we're very early to speculate on that. But it is an interesting question from the standpoint of just understanding the different scenarios that could be in play. All right. With that, we are going to end this week's episode. Once again, thank you to the fellows from Blue Shirts Breakaway. I do appreciate them coming on the show and really did have fun with that conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Thank you once again to all of the fans who submitted questions for this week's episode. And we will be back next week with a new episode. I've already got our guest lined up. I'm planning to have our buddy Jeff Merrick, who covers the entire league from the 32 Thoughts podcast and Sportsnet and all different kinds of stuff that he does up in Canada. One of my favorite guys who covers the entire league. Awesome dude and very well informed and on top of everything that goes on around the league. So we'll have Jeff on the show next week. And then we're getting close to Christmas, folks. I hope you guys are doing well with your shopping. I've gotten a lot of my stuff done. I'm kind of proud of myself where I stand at this stage less than two weeks out from Christmas, but still got some loose ends of time. So I'll work on that. Hope you guys will do the same. Happy Hanukkah to everybody who's celebrating that as well right now. And I will talk to you all next week.